Thank you, worship team. And, and I appreciate it when you, you know, clap after a song. I know that you're not clapping for people performing, that you're clapping as a, an, a, a sign of worship. And that is great when we do that, when we engage fully. So never hesitate to do that. You're like, nobody else is doing it. You can do it. You know what? If God calls you to do that, then um, and you will encourage others to, to worship in that way as well. Before we go into the sermon today, um, I do want to take a moment of reflection and prayer on our nation once again. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I had the privilege of praying for the Board of Supervisors. And a part of that prayer was coming, or that prayer time came after the shooting in Brooklyn, where a young man went to a black neighborhood and targeted people because of the color of their skin. And he shot and killed numerous people, 18-year-old. This last week, we see that once again, 18-year-old young man goes into some of the most innocent and kills. And we cannot help but be moved by that great evil because that is simply what it is. You've heard me say it. You'll hear me say it again. The work of Jesus is very clear. Where there is life and there is life overflowing, you see Jesus. The work of Satan is very clear. Where there is killing, stealing, and destroying, Satan is there. And we see that in our nation, and we've seen this, that this last week. And you know, um, there's lots of commentaries, and it's really, you know, I hesitate People throw things out on Facebook and Instagram, and you know what? That's great. Um, you notice that I tend not to do that because it, because I, I want to think first um, and before I'm reacting to things. But that does not mean that it does not deeply concern me or that I don't have thoughts and ideas. One of those things is is it truly it is a spiritual battle that we are part of, and this violence that we see is a part of that. The other thing is, is that I'm going to say something, and um, hopefully it's not lowering people and elevating the importance of others, but this is a man issue. This is, this is men stepping into young men's lives and giving sage wisdom and direction that is needed in our nation, and that does not devalue women or mothers, or grandmothers. But young men particularly need men. They need men who are godly. They need men who will step into the gap and who will fight for them. Now, I say that as a father who has adopted children and has had foster children and has suffered greatly because of that, <laughs> because it is extraordinarily painful and difficult and hard. It is always harder to fix, try to fix someone than it is to raise someone. Raising may be hard, but when there is extraordinary brokenness and to, to bring wholeness into that is very, very difficult. And, and I've lived that reality. And one of the things that, that I am being moved to in my action to this is that we feel powerless. And I was talking with my wife Pam about this, is, is that I'm going to volunteer for Big Brothers, Big Sisters. I'm going to invest some of my time into a young boy, young man in our community 
to show him that he's not alone. And we each have to decide we can pray, and that is important. But I also think that we need to figure out how we can act. And first, I would say, men, be a father. Be a grandfather. Be a great-grandfather. Be present. Show up. Speak into our young men's lives. Be a part of youth ministry. Step in. You're like, I don't know how to do that. I I can't do that. Talk to Tom Foster. Tom Foster said that until he was badgered by us and the Holy Spirit to, to step into that. And he is one of a very powerful force within our young people's lives here at our church. Sorry, Tom, I just called you out. So wherever you are, um, step in, step in. We need that. We need men to step up. It's not going to solve all the issues because it's complex. It's hugely complex. There's spiritual warfare that is involved. There's mental illness that's involved. There's, there's cultural shifts that are involved. But one of the things we can do is we can show up. And so pray and ask God how you're going to show up. And let's pray right now. Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters, particularly in Christ this morning, those pastors who are shepherding extraordinarily broken and grieving families, mothers and fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, community members who are just filled with grief as they come to worship, to find comfort through your word, to find comfort and hope in community. Lord, we pray for those churches. We pray for our brothers and sisters that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them patience, that you would give them your divine presence that would speak peace greater than the evil in the world. And Lord, we pray for our community that your hand of protection would be over it, for our law enforcement, for our schools, for those who stand against uh, this evil that continues to rise up. Heavenly Father, we know that there are others that have had a seed planted of evil in their minds to do destruction in the world because that is what happens, and it's what happened here again. And we pray against that. We pray against the spiritual forces of darkness that would kill, steal, and destroy and put those thoughts and put the the pathway for our young people to go down that road. And Lord, we pray for the churches. We pray for us that we would step into the gap where you have called us to stand against evil and to stand for righteousness. And Lord, we pray that there would be healing. We pray that there would be hope. We pray that your light, that Jesus, as we just sang, you are greater than the darkness. And so, Lord, help us to bring more of you, Jesus, because we are powerless, but you are not. Help us to bring more of you, Jesus, into the world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So a passage of scripture, if you've been around church, that you probably are familiar with, that you've heard before, is some of the very last words of Jesus to his disciples. It's called the Great Commission. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, where Jesus says to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go, therefore go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the very end of the age, I will always be with you. So that's some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. And it has been the marching orders of the church since that time that we say, this is what, why we exist. This is what we are to do. This is who we are to be in the world. That we are to go and to make disciples. And so that word disciple or that word discipleship is a common word within the church that you might be familiar with or you might have heard. And this is where it comes. And today I'm continuing the second week of um, sharing lessons out of Africa that I spent 22 days in uh, five countries in Africa um, having the privilege of interacting with leaders in all kinds of different settings. Uh, It was about 15 days of teaching or preaching within that 22 days, so it was a sprint through East Africa. And, And God showed me and taught me a number of things. And in in these last couple of weeks is really about trying to share some of those. And one of those really revolves around this idea of discipleship, of being a disciple. And and one of the lessons is is this, is that discipleship matters. This whole thing of of knowing Jesus and following Jesus and, and, and living the life of Jesus is something that matters. It makes a difference in the world. And we can see within our own nation, the, the challenges and the, and the impact, the effect of that, of when that wanes, when that doesn't happen, when we don't pursue Jesus, that we are left to our own de- devices. I was talking with my wife Pam and, and, uh, about a shirt that she'd shown me where uh, it had the statement, be you, on the front of it. And I'm like, that's a horrible motto for life. That if I was me, you would not want me up here, right? Yeah, just, just say, I mean, left to my own, it's like whatever, you know, whatever me is, in my own creation, my own devices, that would not be a good thing for any of us. That I am in desperate need of Jesus to transfer my thinking, to transfer my emotions, to transfer my actions, to live a greater and a better life. And that's discipleship. That is living into Jesus. The other thing is discipleship works, is that discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus, is very pragmatic. That, that there is a difference, there should be a difference in our lives in following Jesus. That it shapes and it changes who we are and how we see life, how we experience life, the kind of life that we have. And the other thing is, is that discipleship is hard. Amen? Being a follower of Jesus is not the easiest path to go. In fact, Jesus says there's a wide way and there's a narrow way. And the narrow way is the way of following me. But the wide way is a a path that leads to destruction. But the path to life is a narrow way. It it can be very difficult. One of the things that that when I was doing this training with these different leaders, I began each session with this question. What did it cost you in order to be here? What did you have to say no to in order to say yes to spending this two days? Most, most of them was uh, two days that we were together. And so this is just, it, there's, there's a whiteboard. I'd write all these things down. In each of the gatherings, I wrote it down. So the cost was uh, for one, this is one group. I think this is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. 
is that his normal duties and responsibilities. Uh, one was a theological student, and this was his study day that he would have spent studying. Um, and another worked for a, a non-government organization, humanitarian organization, so he couldn't be there to do his work there. Uh, one was a teacher and took the day off from teaching in order to be able to be um, with that time. Another said, time is money. <laughs> that I'm not making money in order to be here. And many of the people that we, I was engaging with were subsistence. You know, it was, it was almost a daily thing. It, the, the Lord's Prayer of give us our daily bread was a reality for their lives. Work in government, I was supposed to be in training or traveling. Um, one of them, I have a sick child who's an orphan um, that I'm caring for, and I had to have somebody else care for them while I was here. Another one was media, uh, uh, was, had to be at a meeting, or I was going to be at a meeting to decide who gets food that day. And, and the point that I was making with them, uh, that I said that every decision that we make to do something, we are saying no to something else. There is a cost in our life. And do you know what the cost is? The, the decision to do is also a decision to not do. Discipleship is hard. To follow Jesus is to decide not to follow something else. To go in the way of Jesus is to decide not to go in a different direction, another direction. Let's look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 9. Part of it will be up here on the screen. Luke 9, starting verse 23. Jesus said this to the crowd. He says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. So I talked about this whole thing of discipleship, you know, what, uh, that, that we sh- should be a disciple, that Jesus calls us to go and to make disciples. But do you know what a disciple is? Do you have a definition of what a disciple is? I've got one for you, all right? I'll help us out. A disciple is this. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. Let's just stop there for a second. If you don't follow Jesus in any way... <laughs> then you're not a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. So that's one of the indications, sort of indication first in our life of that, well, I might believe in Jesus, I might appreciate Jesus, or, you know, the Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. You know, we might sing a song about Jesus. Some of you got that, by the way. Some of you have no idea what I was talking about. But if you don't follow Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus in an ever-deepening relationship of love towards God and others. That following Jesus isn't about following a bunch of rules. It's about growing in your character of love. And Jesus makes it very clear that there are two directions of that love. There is love towards God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a great commandment. 
The great commission is go and make disciples. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. It is to have an ever-deepening relationship of love with God and with others. And helps others do the same. So there's a multiplication that God has put us in the world. Remember the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. This is that we need to be a disciple. We need to have an ever-deepening relationship of love with God and with others. And we have the responsibility. God has commanded it of us is that we would invest. We would do that in our area of influence. That we want to help other people do the same. And there's sort of three things that I think that there's hallmarks of what that disciple will look like as we are growing in that. And and let's get this very clear. The perfection of discipleship is on the other side of eternity. When you are face-to-face with Jesus, I think the Scripture gives indication that we will then be made completely whole, completely perfect. Until then... We're in, we're in the journey. Progressive sanctification. We are becoming more and more, hopefully, like Jesus over time. But there's three things that we should have happening this, within us. One is, is that we should have confidence in knowing deeply. There would be confidence in the beliefs that we have and that we would know them deeply. That we would know what Scripture says. We would know the things of God and about God in our life. And that we would also have encouragement in experiencing fully. That being a disciple isn't just knowing the Bible and reading the Bible and knowing theological truths. It's experiencing the presence and the power of God and of Jesus in our life. That's why I love it when you, you know, raise your hands or you clap in, in worship. That's an indication, a part of an indication of experiencing Jesus. Is that it's something that's engages our whole being. Then the third thing is is that courage in living intentionally. Remember following Jesus, a a, a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. That's intentional living. That's what a disciple is. So here's some discipleship truths I think that are important for us. One is, is that life with Jesus is the best life. I was thinking about that, you know, as I was on this trip and just having this time, uh, lots of, you know, airplane rides and waiting in airports and was, was a big part of the in-between times of being with people and interacting with people who have much, much less than we do, who've had much more difficult lives than we have. And seeing them and reflecting on my life and people I know and people I love and I care about, and here's the conviction is, is that the best life that you can possibly live is life with Jesus. The other thing is it's discipleship is living into the best life. <laughs> if Jesus is the best life, then disciple, being a disciple is living into that more and more each day. And that a part of that then becomes is that of helping others. I, I think I shared last week, Esaias or Sabo, um, my Ethiopian brother there who traveled with me a number of places, that his motto about discipleship is be one that makes one that makes one. 
that we help other people to live into the life of Jesus because that's the best life. We're convicted. We're convinced of that. So it's like, why wouldn't we want other people to have the best thing? Have you ever gone to a restaurant and had a phenomenal meal and then you found somebody who says, man, you got to go to this restaurant. This food is fantastic. You got to try this out. This is great. Or you're going to do a movie. It's, man, that's a fantastic movie. I, you need to go see this movie. It'll move you. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll, all this stuff. But with Jesus, like, yeah, Jesus is all right. There, there's a passion to say, hey, you know what? Experience Jesus. It's, it's the best life that you can have. And when we, but here's the other thing that I observed in this, in my own self and people. When we have a good life, it is harder to choose to pursue the best life with Jesus. And large, by and large, as Americans, we have a good life. We have a lot of good things. We have a lot of blessings. And I, I just reflect on that. You say, like, wow, how blessed am I? How many good things do I have? And when life is good, it's hard to pursue the best. And that's why Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The, the lesson for me in Africa in those travels was just to, to, again, to help me to see once again more clearly for myself, hopefully for us, the importance of pursuing Jesus and helping other people do the same. Another lesson is this. Small investments make big returns. Um, in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, there's an interaction between Jesus and Peter. And Peter's a little bit of maybe whining about the cost of following Jesus. And Peter began to speak up. He says, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus replied, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. The Jesus definitely gives in his teaching very clearly that in the sacrifice of following him, there is a great reward. There is a great return. And part of that we get to receive here on this earth. There's an even greater part of it that we get to receive on the other side of eternity. It's now and forever. Let me share with you some of the sacrifices or some of the places that we've been able to make small investments with the great returns. One of those is Pascal. When you came in this morning in your program, you got this, um, this sheet of paper. And Pascal, there's a picture of Pascal up here on the screen. Pascal is, uh, we partner with Pascal in the Democratic Republic of Congo in the city of Goma in the greater region. And God has raised him up to be a disciple-making leader. He's also a pastor of a church. And um, at 7 o'clock in the morning, they had a special church service on a Friday morning uh, because that was when I could come and to be with them. And the church gathered at 7 a.m. on Friday. Um, 
and there was great dancing and singing when I walked in. And uh, I expect that every Sunday now here as well. Yeah, I, I sort of expected that response. It's like no amens or anything. Anyway, we'll let that go for right now. Um, disappointment. It's great. Um, it was, it was when, I, when I drove up to the building and I started walking in, I was, I was in tears, literally in tears. I was having a really hard time holding it together because Cold Springs Church, we donated the money to be able to have this building that they were in. And, and also sitting there, so we were sitting up front and I got a chance to speak and they did this worship and it was just an amazing experience. And uh, sitting to my right were five uh, pastors, five men, of the five churches that had been planted out of that church that Pascal had started, that we, the building within which we had helped to establish. And then uh, later, we drove to see those, a number of those churches, three of those churches in these amazing places where I'm sure in some of those places that we were at, I was the first for the children, the first white guy that they had ever seen. And it was, it was an amazing experience. Here's the other amazing experience, is that we purchased a vehicle for Pascal to be able to get around in order to minister to the people that he was shepherd over. Not just his church, but the larger community. And I was riding in that vehicle. Basically, the Goma is a volcano field. They just erupted this last year again, destroyed part of the city. And they, it's and it's like a it's like a good you know Jeepers Jamboree to get around in Goma. And we helped that to happen. Pascal just emailed me this last week that one of the pastors that he shepherds that is a part of his discipleship movement, um, his village, he lives outside of Goma, his village was under attack by rebels, and they had to flee. And he sent me pictures of him there with that pastor and the people of that church that he drove to in the vehicle that Cold Springs Church helped to purchase. If you want to see the impact that we had, if you go to about page four within this, um, you will see, it says, what you accomplished here at Bethany Church is that there's eight different things that he identifies. Um, but the other thing is, is that he handed this out to us, and, and he went through this whole thing in the church service, and he goes through all of our guiding principles and shares how it has impacted him in their church. How Cold Springs Church, what we do and how we do it, is impacting the church in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Isn't that amazing? I was, again, I was like, wow. Small investment. Huge return. I also got to visit a, a ministry that we haven't been involved in. It's a ministry that was in northern Kenya that was started by a couple in, south, um, in southern California called Fruited Plains to bring, um, through agribusiness, to bring economic justice to farmers in the, um, in the Mount Elgon area where they um, have a nursery. It's about an acre and a quarter where they have a nursery and they provide seedlings to the farmers and then they also provide 
a um, fair and just uh, purchase of their crops because people would come in and steal their crops from them by promising to pay them and not pay them. And, and it was this beautiful facility that uh, is, is in the need of, of being revitalized and renewed and came back with just what a powerful impact in the story about one farmer who, when the, this couple first went there, that was, he had one set of clothes and he had to wash them at night um, so that they would dry in the morning. He had just one set of threadbare clothes. And he, they came back a year or two years later after him engaging with this, and he was able to put his kids through school. He was able to provide for his family home and clothing and school supplies. And he had dignity because of a small investment. I've shared with you about Esaias. Esaias, um, uh, I met 10 years ago when I first went to Ethiopia and uh, over two of those trips uh, traveled all over um, Ethiopia. If you're familiar there in a, a sort of a civil war going on now, areas that I was in you can no longer go into because they're unsafe. And Esaias uh, now lives in Uganda and he has started this, this discipleship ministry that I got to be a part of 10 years ago now is in 29 countries in the continent of Africa. Thousands, thousands of people are being impacted, being discipled. And we were at the part of that at the very beginning. We've invested in Esaias and partnering with him and his leadership. So, yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing story. He's an amazing man with an amazing vision. So, so small investments to us, and, and here's the thing, one of the things I'm not sure that you know or understand, is that stewardship is something really important to us at Cold Springs Church. And, 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 and what that means is that we encourage you to be generous with what God has given you to give to Cold Springs Church, because the vision and the mission that God has given us is really important, of making disciples, of impacting families, impacting kids, impacting our lives to be more like Jesus. And the other thing uh, that's a part of that is, is that these people that I'm sharing with is, is that 10% of everything, at least 10%, usually it's 15% of everything that comes in goes to support partners outside of Cold Springs Church, that we are making a worldwide difference. And so when you give, you're not giving just Cold Springs Church, you're giving to the work of God in the world. Another uh, lesson was God knows where you are. God knows where you are. Uh, let me share a, a few stories here. And this is a, a, a scripture, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. It says, Now an angel of the Lord, so this is a time of the early church when you know, God's spirit is moving in amazing ways, amazing stories are happening. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, one of the disciples, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a d desert place. Now, just sort of think about this. So let's say you're sitting here worshiping, and the Holy Spirit says to you, okay, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Fernley, Nevada, and I want you to stand at that crossroad of desolation and nowhere, okay? That's, that's sort of, sorry, somebody's taking offense at that. You know, it's like, oh, you were born there. <laughs> go, go to where Glenna was born, desolation in nowhere, and stand there at the road. <laughs> That's an opinion. Thank you. Amen. That is an opinion. 
Glenna, I wasn't born there, but I was raised there. So just so you know. Um, I was really raised there. So, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And Philip leads the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in Jesus Christ. We were at an airport in, um, in Nairobi, and Patrick, who I said last week, Patrick's one of our partners um, with developing leaders, and he, um, and I say about Patrick, he knows every other person in Kenya. Um, outside of Kenya, he knows every fourth person. I'm convinced. So we were standing in line, and he says, hey, Zach. And Zach was a, a leader that he had gone to, I think, Bible school with 30 years previous, had not seen him for 30 years. And Zach had recently retired, was moving to the northern part of Kenya, and was wanting to invest in the development of leaders, the very thing, the ministry that we were a part of. And they sat, and they talked, and they sat on the plane, and they talked, and made a connection so that Zach potentially could be a part of the leadership connection movement to move leaders from isolation to community. In another airport, uh, we um, were... Uh, sitting there, and uh, there's a man, no, we're walking to the plane, and there's a man, David, and it's like, Patrick goes, I think I know you. And he's like, I think I know you. And David was from Rwanda, and he was returning to Rwanda um, on a layover. It's actually Dr. David Mawanbari, who is a lecturer with the London um, Leadership Studies, London College. Uh, and who does reconciliation work out of his experience of his grandfather and his uncles being murdered in the genocide in Rwanda. But as a university student in Kenya, he was a mess because he had come out of this great violence. And Patrick's wife, Beatrice, is a trauma therapist, and she was his therapist for a year. And he said to me, she doesn't know it. I don't think she knows it, but she saved, she saved my life. And, and that was years ago that they had connected, and here he was in the airport. He sat behind us with the same vision of developing and um, working with leaders to bring life and health to them. We were in another story is, is that we uh, went to Goma, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, Goma is a city of 750,000 people. You're um, a few pictures behind there, Stephen. So, um, so if you go next. So that's Zach, and then the next one is David. Okay, so this is, this is the city of Goma. This is um, a city of 750,000 people. And we crossed the border, and we were in a car, and we drove to our hotel, which you drive on the paved road, and then you turn off into an alleyway that isn't paved, and is potholed and all kinds of things. And you go a little ways down this alley, and then you turn left, and you go um, by this big giant wall, and then a gate opens up, and there's the hotel, a city of 750,000 people. So we're there a day, and, and Patrick says, my best friend Jason is here. So the next picture, this is Jason, 
So Jason is a childhood friend who grew up with Patrick, who is a retired telecom executive and who happened to be staying at the same hotel we were, who has a vision and a passion for economic development, such as, you remember I talked about fruited plains and needing new leadership? And that leadership would help that ministry to thrive in order to help pastors to be connected. In a city of 750,000 people, Patrick's best friend, who has the same passion, who hadn't seen for over a year and a half, two years because of COVID, who almost died with COVID, who was on a ventilator, he happened to be there. God knows where you are. Another thing is to, I learned, is to risk a bigger vision. In John 4, 35 through 38, Jesus says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. Now you will get to gather the harvest. One of the things that I've seen is that oftentimes we can say, well, God has called me to do something. God wants me to do something, but I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And one of the things I was reminded over and over again is this, is that money follows ministry. Money follows vision. Resources follow the movement of God. And we always want the provision first, and then we'll go and follow the provision. And God says, follow me first, follow my vision, and I will provide. What you need will come if you are faithful and follow me. Probably not in the way or in the timing <laughs> that you want. If I ask anybody who's, who's pursued that, ask us. And just a couple of quick stories. Pastor Bones, who has been here, he's pastor of Good Shepherd Church, has a vision for, as, and, and had shared this vision a long time, about growing their school. They started school, um, a preschool, uh, a young age school, a number of years ago. But there was a desire and the need in their community that that school would grow. So during COVID, when the church is shut down, when people are scattered, they built and expanded their school. And it opened the day that I left uh, Nairobi to expand their school. Another thing about Patrick Bo or about Bones, um, Anthony Bones, is, is that one of his children um, is Leroy, and Leroy is autistic. And if you have a special needs child here in the United States, you know how challenging it can be to have the resources in order to meet the needs of a child with special needs. In Kenya, it's extraordinarily even more difficult. And so they started a special needs, you know, area in their school to minister to kids with special needs. And now they've started the Leroy Bones Foundation with the vision and the goal that all 43, I think, counties in Kenya will have special ed opportunity for kids with special needs. That's a vision. How is that going to happen? God will have to provide. Another vision, another example of this is Archbishop Mabade, or Mabanda, um, who is the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in Rwanda. You know that guy? He's an awesome guy. He's an amazing guy. Well, this is a part of his story, is that he became Archbishop in 2018, 
2018 is about a year before COVID broke out, right? And just, you know, starting to lead. And the church in Rwanda, the Anglican church, was $600,000 in debt. And nobody would lend them money to do anything to, to um, try to advance the kingdom. And so you know what he did? He's from the United States. He lived in the United States for a long time. He's a part of Compassion International. We actually went to the same seminary at the same time out in, in Deerfield. Uh, I didn't know him at that time, but we were there at the same time. He, ha- he, had, he morgaged his house of 300, uh, for $300,000 to put against the loan, the, the debt of the Anglican Church in Rwanda so that they could get money. And one of the U.S. friends, partner, says, you did what? What's going to happen to your kids? What's going to happen to your wife if something goes wrong, if things go sideways, if they take, take your house? He says, Lord will provide. Lord will cover them. And you know what that guy did? He went back to the United States, found $300,000 and said, here, I'm paying off that loan. You can pay me. And then if something happens to you, at least I can just give it to your wife or your kids. But who had to step forward in faith and to say, you know what, there's a greater thing that God has called us to do. He did, and his wife did. And then I've also, I've already shared about Asias. 26 countries, or 29 countries with ASDM, 54 by 20. His vision is all 54 nations of the continent of Africa will have a discipleship movement by 2026. And you know what? I think it's going to happen. Because he believes, and he's leading forward. This is one of the churches that um, we were visiting that um, Pascal had planted. And, you know, sort of the thing that came out of that for me is, is that my leadership is too small. <laughs> that need gives birth to vision. And you know what? If you have a need, if you have a need that is beyond your ability to imagine how that could possibly be, take place, that's the birth of vision. It's also the birth of vision that requires faith. Discipleship matters because all of this comes of living and leading out of the overflow of a Jesus-trusting life. That's the result of discipleship. Disciple is someone who follows Jesus in an ever-deepening relationship of love with God and others and helps others do the same lives, begins to live out of the overflow of Jesus. And some of us are just a a trickling, you know, right? Others are artesian well. And in that, you will have confidence in knowing deeply. In that, we will have encouragement in experiencing fully. And in that kind of life, we'll have courage in living intentionally. Let's pray. Jesus, there, there are so many great, great saints. Some of them are even sitting here in this room that I am so blessed to be a part of and to interact with. Thank you for the privilege of me having the personal interaction for us, Cold Springs Church, for us having the relationships that would remind us that you are not dead, you are not powerless that you are doing great and mighty things through people, in people, in the world. Lord, I pray that you would choose us, choose Cold Springs Church to do great things for your kingdom. 
that you would give us the courage, you give us the faith, that you would give us the steps forward that resources would follow. Lord, move within us to do what we can do for your good, for your kingdom, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.